0: Marika Blasfeldt is an artist, a performer who appeared in the film Bright Lights, Big City, and a certified kundalini yoga teacher who founded the Pali Talu Arts Center on her farm in Estonia. She studied at the Institute for Interactive Nutrition in New York City. Her new book is Essential Nourishment, Recipes from My Estonian Farm. Thank you for joining me, Marika.
1: Thank you for having me, Rick.
0: This is an interesting book. It's not just a cookbook. It's, Or if it's a cookbook, it's, it's a cookbook for life.
1: Yeah, I like that you put it that way. It's really a lot more than a cookbook. It uh, really is a kind of a holistic uh, lifestyle companion. So it talks about healthy food, but also about lifestyle uh, considerations. And uh, the first part of the book actually goes into several very important, in my mind, uh, nutritional topics, such as balancing your blood sugar, watching out for the acid alkaline balance. It talks about oils and fats because there's so much conflicting information out there that I'm trying to kind of demystify the whole oil and fat issue.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I I love about this book is how beautiful it looks. It's like a kind of an art book. (laughs) So talk about just creating and designing this. Did you do the, the production design?
1: Well, it so happened that I was really sitting next to the designer and directing the whole thing. So I would say 90% of the book is my design and 10% of the designers. Um, and um, it just kind of happened that way because she she didn't get going and she didn't offer me anything. And I said, okay, I have to take this into my own hands and I want this color and that color and let's move this here and move that there. And anyway, I mean, putting in all the photographs, I had to do it because I was the only person who really know which photograph is which recipe, right? Nobody else could have done this. So we ended up really working together. uh, And uh, of course, I totally enjoyed that whole process because I have a visual uh, arts background. I studied painting. I'm actually a, a painter with a diploma.
0: <laughs> is, is there, are, is there are paintings in the book. Are they yours?
1: Yes, all the paintings in the book are mine and uh, it's it's a beautiful thing that I was actually able to uh, finally kind of publish my artwork as well through the book. And I feel it just works really well, you know, with the recipes and the rest of the book that once in a while, oh you get a little surprise or a little break from the reading and you just look at some beautiful colors and textures and then you go on
0: reading. Well the sense of space in the book is really nice. It makes it easier to look at, easier to read, easier to deal with. It's not just a big block of text from beginning to end.
1: Exactly and that was very important for me too that to make it easy and inviting not to overwhelm the reader with too much busy stuff going on. So it has a very clean Layout and I always believe less is more.
0: And, and it also, I think, complements the uh, the theme of the book too. In terms of, you know, your lifestyle advice and, and the kind of nourishment—not just for the the body, the food that we eat, but nourishment for the soul and kind exactly. of just to get yourself all put together in one nice piece. Exactly. Yes. Now uh, let's talk a bit back up and and talk a little bit about. Um, how you came to, to found uh, Polytalu, this is an interesting story. Tell us how, Well, wh- yeah, you are in <laughs> California. How did you get to Estonia? Well, I was born in
1: Estonia, so that's, uh, that's that. But uh, when I was just a year and a half old, my parents immigrated to West Germany. And uh, it was an unusual thing to do at that time. It was 1959, so heavy-duty Soviet Union time. But because um, on my father's side, I have German ancestry and it so happened that his parents and brother were living in Germany, that we were then able to legally leave Estonia uh, with papers to go and kind of be reunited with the rest of the family. There was an agreement between the two governments, between Germany and the Soviet Union. So that's how I ended up in West Germany and i grew up there i went to school there and um but we kept going back to estonia to visit uh even during the soviet time almost you know every other or every third summer i would spend my summer holidays there so i had a very um close contact to my relatives there and also to the land and the culture and um and then uh, much later on, when I had left Germany to go to New York to pursue a career in modern dance, I kind of switched from painting to dance. Um, and as I started performing, uh, I started going back to Estonia kind of professionally to teach workshops, to perform, and spent more and more time there in the summers. And um, then when things really changed you know in 91 when Estonia became an independent country again all these doors opened and all these possibilities and um, it's always been a dream of mine to have a place in the countryside and so I went and um, decided you know I'm going to look for a place and I put an ad into the paper in several papers saying that I would like to buy a traditional Estonian farm complex, and that means there's usually a main house, a storehouse, a hay barn, and a stable. So at least four buildings. And uh, I said also it should not be more than two kilometers to the sea in a beautiful natural environment.
0: Not asking too much, are you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but you see, you know, you have to know what you want and ask for it, and then you might just get it. And uh, so I got several phone calls, and with some places I knew already on the telephone that this is not the right place. And, but I went to look at maybe six or seven places. And uh, when I came to this farm that I now o- uh, own, uh, immediately, you know, I knew that this is it and I entered the kitchen and there I saw the 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 owner of the building, the the woman, she was standing there with her white apron on and there was this huge oven in this kitchen, like you know, huge, and there were these herbs hanging from the ceiling and it just totally overcame me with such a strong emotion. I mean I started crying right away, I had goosebumps. I mean I was in the state for a couple of minutes At the same time thinking that, oh my God, you know, this is really it, and oh my God, how can I be so lucky to have found this place? And later people said that, you know, what I experienced was sort of the the spirit of the house, the spirit of the land really welcoming me. So that was pretty special.
0: Now, talk about turning that into your own arts complex.
1: Yes. So um, the farm itself was not in such good shape, you know, in 1959 when I, uh, sorry, in 1995 when I first saw it. So uh, each summer I would go and spend a few months there and we would replace first all the roofs because they were all leaking. And the roofs are made from reed, uh, which is a local material that grows right there by the seaside. And uh, another interesting story is that...
0: So you replaced it with reed? Yeah, oh, with really? reed, of
1: course, yeah. I wanted to restore it to its you know, original glory. And uh, so the thing with the reed roofs is that during the Soviet time, it was forbidden to make reed roofs. So all the old reed roofs, what happened, people would just slap some um, uh, asbestos on it, those asbestos kind of wavy things, right? Mm-hmm. So you see that all over Estonia, those asbestos roofs, but underneath is the old reed. At my farm, there was no asbestos. It was still the original reed, but really, really gone. And so because for 50 years, you know, you were not allowed to build reed roofs, kind of the art of building reed roofs almost disappeared. But I was lucky that in the neighboring little town was still a reed master. And so he came and uh, he took two young men from my village, and the three together built the first roof or rebuilt it. And so the two young men learned how to do this. And the next summer, the two of them, already on their own, built the next roof for me. And they have since, you know, built reed roofs in my area, but also in Sweden and in uh, England. So I kind of you know, became a trendsetter that all of a sudden, even in my little area, people started restoring the reed roofs again. And so I'm so thrilled, you know, that that's something that happened at my farm.
0: Now, let's talk about the creation of this book. You had a career as an actor, as a dancer, as a painter, as a farmer. (laughs) What brought you to just write this book?
1: Well, um, I guess it all started with, you know, having created this art center in Estonia Mm -hmm. and having to feed people. Mm -hmm. And because there's nothing around there, you know, no restaurants or nothing. So people who come and stay with me, they obviously also expect to be fed. And at first I would just do this kind of according to my gut feeling, which apparently is not such a bad thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) More and more evidence is coming out that we actually have a second brain in the gut. Uh, But then after doing this a couple of years, kind of winging it, um, I thought that maybe it is a good idea to actually get a little education uh, in nutrition so that I really will be uh, well-equipped to offer my guests balanced, nutritious, healthy meals. And so I got a catalog uh, from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in my mailbox in New York, and as soon as I opened it, I knew that this is the school I want to go to. So I did a 2 year program there and am now also uh, officially a health coach. And uh so as I was feeding my people at the farm everybody was always saying oh the food is so great you know when are going when are you going to write your cookbook. And I always said oh well yeah one of these days you know I thought it's it's a daunting task and probably very expensive which now based on experience I can say is really true. <laughs> <laughs> But then at one of those retreats, my niece, uh, Ave, she was taking part. And the question came up again. So when are you going to write your cookbook? And she looked at me and said, well, let's do it. And I said, well, OK, let's do it. So she became the producer and I the writer and the artistic director. And that's how the two of us then started working
0: on the book. So this is kind of a, a self-published book. to her,
1: Yes, me? Totally. And it came out first in Estonian, in -hmm. Estonia. And I knew it was going to be easy in Estonia because I'm sort of well known there. People know about my farm. Uh, Some people still know me from my dancing days. And so it was easy, you know, to get the book out. Distribution is much easier there. I mean, in America, it's this big machine and it's like mind boggling. But there it was easy. So it pretty much sold out in the first year. And that gave us also the courage to self-publish in the States. So the English version then came out two years
0: later. Well, it's a fabulous book. And one of the things, as I said, what I like about it is that you know you say right off the bat, uh, food is not the only form of nourishment. So talk a little bit about the kind of that as the, as it were, the kernel of the book.
1: Yeah, um, food, of course, is very important uh, because it sustains us. But there are other areas of life that nourish us maybe on an even deeper level. And those areas I would consider are our relationships, is our work, is physical activity, and also an aspect of spirituality. And very often when something is out of balance or missing in those areas of life, then we tend to look for food to fill the gap or to compensate. And food can really not do this we should not expect food to do this, but rather we should really look, so what is really going on here and try to solve the problems, you know, rather than looking for food. On the other hand, I think that if you feed yourself a balanced and nutritious diet, then you will be much more grounded and much more, it would be easier for you than to deal with any problems in any other essential areas of your life. So there's definitely, you know, uh, an influence going both
0: ways. Now, I love that at the very beginning of your book, you mention water. Because, <laughs> I mean, I've met, read many a recipe book. Nobody's ever given me recipes for water or even <laughs> talked about it. But as uh, we are mostly water. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah,
1: it's kind of mind boggling. You know, they say we are like uh, 75% water. But, you know, if you look at, you know, the cellular structure, and we are made up of cells, right, Mm. it is really, you know, a very thin, uh, um, what is it, the uh, cell membrane, right? And then in the center you have like a a kernel of something, and everything else is liquid, and it's mostly water. So, yes, we are almost made up of water. Even our bones have water in them.
0: And and you suggest that, uh, as far as water goes, we want to start the day with water and find out how much water we can drink and should drink and and talk a little bit about that that process
1: yeah so it is a good idea to start the day with water because that will flush your kidneys and get rid of all the yesterday's toxins and kind of give you an an internal shower and so you're fresh for the day and uh, it's good a good idea to keep water drinking water throughout the day Um, It's good to have some water like an hour or so before your major meals, because that really prepares your uh, intestines for the uh, absorption of the food that's coming. Uh, During the meals, it's okay to sip a little bit of liquid, but I wouldn't like gulp down a whole glass of water, because that will just dilute your digestive juices. So you want to drink an hour before and then just sip a little in between, you know, while you're eating. Um, Then, interestingly enough, very many people experience kind of an energy dip in the afternoon. And so often they then go for coffee or for some sweets to kind of pick them up. But really, it is our body sending a message that it is dehydrated. So try this, you know, as an experiment next time you experience this to have a glass or two of water first, and then check in with your body whether you feel any different, whether you still need the coffee, and I can guarantee that in 99% of the cases the water will have just washed away any tiredness and also washed away any cravings for coffee or sweets
0: Well, that's a really great advice, because also that means if you're not uh, at least a uh, uh, dropping a candy bar down. That's probably <laughs> a few thousand calories you don't need. <laughs> exactly. Now, you, you talk about the importance of whole foods. And I'd like you to just tell me what you mean by whole foods.
1: Okay. I mean, whole food has become this expression, right? But it what it really means is...
0: It's a grocery chain. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That v- true. <laughs> vampiric. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but what it means is that the these are foods that are natural these are foods that are as close to mother nature as possible so it's all your vegetables your leafy greens your grains your legumes your peas beans and lentils your lettuces your mushrooms your fruits your berries your seeds nuts meat fish poultry eggs dairy so these all i would consider natural whole foods
0: now are any of those good canned? I, th- I think later on you mentioned that the beans are okay to have.
1: Well, in. yeah. Of course, it's always much better to eat fresh food. Mm-hmm. But we know that we're all very busy and sometimes forget to we forget to plan. You know, the thing with beans is you need to soak them overnight. Mm-hmm. So if you forget to do that, you cannot cook beans the next day, right? So canned beans are okay in my book. Mm-hmm. And of course, you always want to check the label it should really only contain beans, water, and a little salt. Mm-hmm. And if that is the case, that's okay in my book. Um, it's still a very nutritious food, and it's just great to have a couple of cans in your pantry Then you have no excuse for having to have some junk food when you have those in your pantry.
0: Now, uh, <coughs> it, you say, too, um, that you, we want to look around and... and uh, check about how these things are preserved, you know, whether they're preserved by chemical or by natural means, you know, that you, you can have foods that are essentially drenched in chemicals to stay fresh, or you can have foods that are dried. And, and so talk about that yeah. differentiation and how sensory input matters.
1: Okay. So, I mean, basically, you always hear that, you know, unprocessed foods are better for you than processed foods. And mm-hmm. that's basically true. But there are some processes, and they are actually traditional processes that have been used through the ages to preserve food. Because especially if you live in a colder climate, you know nothing grows in the winter. So you have to figure out how to preserve foods in order survive, to survive the winter, right? So drying, for example, is one example. So traditionally, all over the world, people have dried you know, the same beans, peas, and lentils, grains, uh, herbs teas, right? Uh, People have even salted and dried meat and fish. So these are all okay uh, ways of preserving food. Another one is uh, 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 fermentation. Um, And that is actually the only process that even lifts the nutritional content of a food. So you wanna go for the lacto-fermented vegetables like sauerkraut or kimchi or pickles. Now, pickles could go either way. There are some pickles that are lacto-fermented and others that are marinated in vinegar. So that's a whole different story. It's not necessarily bad, but it's not the great thing. So the lacto-fermentation means that you only add salt. So again, you can look on the label if it has only cucumbers and salt in it, then that's lacto-fermented. If it has vinegar in it, then that's the different process. And the lacto-formation really increases the uh, nutritional value of the food. It provides all the friendly bacteria, and it keeps the food alive so that it has all its enzymes intact. So it's excellent for our digestive system. It's a good idea to have some sort of lacto fermented food every day.
0: So kimchi or or lacto fermented pickles every day. Yes. All right.
1: <laughs> Just as a snack, and they're great. Yeah. You know.
0: Now, um, one of the things you you talk about is the import of being able to read food labels, and this is, I think, uh, something that I've heard about before. So I'd like you to give us your spin on you know yes. reading food labels so that we can make sure we're getting something that's worth putting in our body. Yes,
1: exactly. So there's a bunch of information on these food labels and some of it, I don't really care so much about it. Like, I don't care about calories. I don't care about grams of this and grams of that. But what I care about is what the actual ingredient is. And, uh, a really easy <laughs> rule of thumb is, you know, if there are words that you cannot pronounce and you don't know what they mean, I bet these are not food items. So these could be any you know, number of chemicals, dyes, preservatives, you name it, uh, taste enhancers. So you want to look that there are none of these strange words on the labels. Um, You want to look for the sugar content, you know, you don't want to eat like hidden sugars in your food. Uh, So look on what position sugar stands because the way the ingredients are listed is in order of, um, you know, the, the, the item that is in the food the most is on place one and the one that's least is on the last place. So if sugar is number one, that's bad news. Um, And I had one more thought. Let's see if we can remember. Oh, the other thing is that many foods are enhanced or enriched, right? Mm, Fortified. Fortified, exactly. So that's always a signal to be careful. So why would one need to fortify a food? Probably because something has happened in the process that you know vitamins and minerals and the good stuff has been going lost. So first of all, you don't even want to buy that kind of food. Mm -hmm. Right, And the other thing is that If you see vitamins listed under ingredients That means that they have been added to the food Because something is missing in the food But these vitamins are not the vitamins That were in the original food These are vitamins that were made in a laboratory And they're probably not the first class laboratory vitamins either So that's not so good
0: now uh, you have this kind of a chart, like a a clock mm-hmm. in there. So talk about crea- creating <laughs> that clock. I've never seen a food a food uh, clock like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: so what you're talking about is the um, is the yin and yang balance of food, and this is actually something that comes from um, microbiotic philosophy, food mm-hmm. philosophy. They really pay attention to that, and so basically um, they look you know, it it comes from Japan, so it comes from the East, where they have, you know, this uh, philosophy of life being made up of yin and yang, and the two of them are opposites, but they also complement each other, and the yin and yang kind of form a whole. Um, And so life is a constant process of trying to balance the yin and yang. If there's something to yin, you crave for something yang. If there's something too yang, you crave for something yin to come back to a place of balance. And the same goes for food. So certain foods are considered yin, which is the female quality. So those foods would be kind of light, uplifting, expansive. And then on the other side, you have the yang foods, and that is more of a male energy. So they are more grounding and they are more uh, contractive, like that so if you think intuitively you know what might be a yin food what might be a yang food you probably can guess that sugar (laughs) is a yin food right Mm -hmm. it makes us feel happy and light Uh, but also lettuces and vegetables those are all yin foods and then on the other side meat Mm -hmm. is definitely a yang food right gives you that kind of Groundedness, Also cheese, also fish, also poultry, also eggs. But the most extreme yang food to balance the sugar is salt. Mm, okay. So that's so interesting. When I first heard about it, it was like, whoa. Okay. Now, um, you can then list all the foods in kind of their tendency towards yin and yang. So some foods are extremely yin, which sugar and alcohol is, and some foods are extremely yang, which would be salt and meat. Mm -hmm. And then other foods kind of, you know, come more towards the middle and they would be less yin, less yang and more kind of neutral. So the philosophy of uh, microbiotics is that ideally you want to eat foods from the middle of the chart. Those that are a little yin and those that are a little yang. So they would be eating only like starting from vegetables to seaweeds to um, legumes to grains to fish. So fish being the most yang and then vegetables the most yin. And if you eat a balance or predominantly a, a, a diet from the middle, then you will also feel grounded and balanced both mentally and physically because if you eat extreme yin foods then you will crave extreme yang foods to come into a place of balance you might have experienced this when you like overdose on sugary stuff you always you almost then want to eat something salty right mm mm-hmm to come back to a place of balance, but you do not come back to a place of balance because you go to the extreme. And then when you had something too salty, you want something sweet again.
0: You mean you can't just go have a steak and chocolate cake and have it all work out?
1: (laughs) No, (laughs) unfortunately not. So what you end up doing is going like a ping-pong ball back and forth between those extreme foods, and you do not come to a place of balance.
0: Oh, then I'll just have a salad with a steak and a chocolate cake. Very good, (laughs) very good.
1: Yeah, so knowing that meat is really high yang, you want to balance it either with a salad or with some vegetables, Mm -hmm. and then you have a nice meal. Uh,
0: Talk about balancing Uh, blood sugar and you suggest we eat complex carbs and explain what complex carbs are
1: yes okay so maybe i explain first what the simple carbs are which we call sugars in common language Mm -hmm. so the simple carbs are sugars and they contain either one or two sugar molecules so for example white sugar is made of two molecules one molecule glucose one molecule fructose Now, the complex carbs are made of many, many, many sugar molecules. So it's a long chain of sugar molecules and they are also wrapped up in the fiber of the food. So complex carbs you would find in vegetables, in whole grains and in the legumes. Now, the beauty of the complex carbohydrates is that it takes the body a long time to first untangle them and then to break them down into their building blocks which means that the sugars released from the complex carbohydrates kind of trickle into our blood gradually and over a long period of time. And that means that we will also have sustained energy for a long time and even moods. So that's the beautiful thing. Whereas in contrast, if you eat those sugary foods, you will experience a sugar spike and your body then uh, recognizes this as an emergency it's actually dangerous to have too much sugar in your blood in extreme cases this can lead to a coma that mm-hmm. can happen to a diabetics if they don't get their shot of insulin so because your sh- blood sugar went up so high and so fast your body then makes a lot of insulin it overcompensates and then what happens is that it brings down the blood sugar level below the middle ground. And you all of a sudden end up with blood sugar level that is too low. And then you feel tired, you can't focus. And what do you crave then?
0: I'm guessing you want more sugar.
1: Exactly. And is that wrong? No. No. You... Right answer. Because really, in that moment, your blood sugar level is too low. However, if you then give in and have another sugary snack, the whole thing starts again. It spikes. You make a lot of insulin, it goes way down, you want more sugar. And so you could be going up and down all day long and never really come to that comfortable place. And with that up and down, your energy fluctuates and your moods fluctuate. So it's not a good way of being.
0: Now, I guess you suggest the complex carbohydrates are a good way to go like fruit, uh, a Well, sweet fruit.
1: Fruits, uh, You know, are not exactly your best choice of complex carbohydrates because fruits, too, have fructose, you Mm -hmm. know, which is a sugar. Of course, there's some fiber, and that's a good thing. So fruits are good, you know, for kind of a quick energy. But to really stabilize your blood sugar, you want to eat vegetables, grains, and legumes.
0: So if you're feeling down, ditch the Hershey bar and have have a bowl of green beans. That's right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now... Uh, you talk about uh, food energies. So tell us about the the uh, division between hot, warm, cool, cold, dry, moist, and balancing our foods, uh, yes. kind of the, the textures, I guess. Yes.
1: So that kind of comes from the traditional uh, Chinese way of looking at food. And, uh, I mean, they have long lists of complicated things, but I'm trying to make it very simple. So first of all, all foods uh come with sort of a a thermal quality so they either are cooling or they are warming some are considered hot some warm some cool some cold and um you can kind of imagine that you know fruits would be cooling right or lettuces would be cooling also raw vegetables are cooling but then meat is warming can be even hot Uh, grains are always warming Uh, So, they will affect our body, kind of our internal little ecosystem, but they can also then balance out what's happening outside. So, for example, yogurt, too, is kind of cool. So, it might not be a good idea to consume a lot of cool yogurt on a damp November day when you would rather have something warm, you know, in the body to balance what's going on outside. And... um, then there's also the idea of um, there being a direction to the food, mm-hmm. uh, so and that's easily observed when you look at how vegetables grow. So, for example, the the leafy greens. There are those leafy greens that are kind of uh, you know thin and pointy, like dandelion leaves or um, some kales, um, also uh, uh, scallions, Leaks. leeks, yeah. So their energy is up and in, so they actually can help to bring out mucus, you know, get rid of mucus out of the lungs. And anyway, any kind of green plant is always related to our lungs because the green part is the the leaf of the plant, right? And that's the part that the plant breathes with. So they also resonate in our lungs and help to support our lungs and help to keep them healthy and help to keep get rid of
0: any mucus. Now, you also uh, talk about uh, cyclical life. And I thought this was really interesting. You've got three seasons. You don't only have four. You've got three. (laughs) And and you talk about, too, about the cycles within the day. Yes. Which I thought was very interesting. So it's kind of wheels within wheels.
1: Yes, exactly. So, I mean, this is sort of the whole idea that, you know, we are all one. You know, Mm -hmm. the same thing, laws of the universe kind of apply to our little body as well. Um, And this thinking thinking comes from the Ayurvedic uh, wisdom. Uh, So they really teach that it's very important to pay attention to the seasons and to live in harmony with the seasons. And that's really the key to longevity and healthy uh, and good health. So um, for some reason, yes, they only (laughs) have three seasons. So it's spring, summer, and winter. And each season has a particular quality. And our body types also fall into those seasons. So for example, spring, you know, is a season where it rains a lot. It's it's very muddy. So the elements are earth and water. It's also the season when we produce a lot of mucus. We have a lot of colds, a lot of allergies. And um, in this season, so the body type that responds to the season is sort of the, the body type that's a little heavier. Uh, they tend towards water re- t- retention. They always have problems with congestions you know, in their nasal passages. Um, those people have heavier bodies, stronger bones. So the good thing about that is that they don't have to worry about osteoporosis, but they have to worry about you know, the, the accumulation of water in their inner organs uh, and things like that. And their heart is the weakest organ. Then the summer comes, so obviously that's a summer of, uh, that's a, the season where it's warm, uh so the element is fire. Um, people who are uh, summer body types would be sort of the athletic type of people, you know, muscular, they love sports, they love to work hard. Their problem is that they tend towards burnout, you know, they often have hot tempers. Uh <laughs> So they should be eating cooling foods. But so often these people really love spicy food. And so that's really not the best thing for them to eat because it just exasperates their, you know, kind of natural condition. Um, They really have to be careful to eat regularly. They should not skip a meal because then it's bad news.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And what about... Okay... And what about the winter types?
1: So the winter types are like, um, well, winter obviously is the coldest season. And, um, and the image that you get is, you know, the trees without the leaves and the wind can just blow right through. So the, uh, the element is air. And typically winter is a season of quick changes. So people who are the winter body type they usually have, um, you know, thinner bones, thinner physique altogether. Those people usually are slim and trim, um, don't, ten- don't easily gain weight. In fact, they have a hard time, you know, putting on a little weight. Um, they usually have a nervous disposition. You know, they're always busy in their minds, too much in their minds. Um, and uh, their digestive tract is, is a little bit on the weak side. So for them, it's really important to eat only nutritious food. They should not do junk food because they wouldn't absorb the nutrients that they really need. And really soothing for them are cooked vegetables, really important. They also do good with a little meat. They should not go without any meat because it helps them, you know, to give kind of strength you know, into their body. They have to watch out that they're not too much in the head. They should also really do some physical things. For them, kind of yoga and these kind of slow, you know, movement type things are best.
0: Now, um, talk about uh, within the day too. Yes. Because uh, our bodies change during the day and, and so we need to kind of uh, pay attention to that as Exactly.
1: Well. So within one day, every four hours, the season changes so um, from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. is a season of spring so this is a time when your body starts getting heavier and it's a good idea to kind of do some physical exercise in that time then between um, 10 and 2 p.m. is summertime and this is a time when our metabolism is at its peak so it's directly in relation to the 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 point where the sun is so so midday our digestion is best so that's why also it's suggested that it would be good to have the large meal at midday as opposed to in the evening then between 2 and 6 p.m. is a period of winter so that's a period when our nervous system is at peak um, um, in peak Um, condition (laughs) so this would be a good time for mental work then between six and ten again we have spring and this is a time when the when the metabolism already starts to slow down because it, it needs to prepare for rest so that's why it's not such a good idea to have a big meal in that time because you know both the digestion will slow down but also your burning potential will slow down So it's easier to gain weight with a big meal in the evening than it would be with a big meal at lunchtime. Then between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. is another summer period. And this is very interesting. Because at 11 o'clock your liver goes into high gear. And the job of your liver is to cleanse your body. And ideally you really want to be resting at that time so that the liver can do its job properly. Uh, So one thing is that you want to have finished digesting by the time you go to bed, or not finished, but you know, at least there should be like three hours between your evening meal and the time you go to bed. Again, so that you are not busy digesting while the liver needs to do its job. So if you are somebody who is up regularly until the wee hours. It really is not good for your body because your liver on a daily basis is compromised and that means that it will not do its job properly, it means that toxins will stay in the body, they deposit themselves into your fatty tissues and it's not a good idea. Plus in the morning you will wake up feeling sluggish as opposed to rested. So if you go to bed early and your liver can do its job, then let's say the eight hours that you sleep starting at 10 or 11 p.m. are much more worth than the eight hours you would start at 1 a.m. and sleeping until 9 a.m.
0: That's very interesting. (coughs) Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the the recipes in the book, (laughs) because it does have a lot of good recipes. One of the things that I noticed is um, you give us a definition of you know what the basics are. You tell us what you mean by salt, and, <laughs> which is nice to know. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So tell us uh, I, what I like about all these recipes is they're very simple. There's yes. not a lot of ingredients and there's not a lot of preparation. I exactly,
1: mean, and I wanted to keep it that way because again, less is more in my in my thinking. And I personally, I mean, if I look at a, restu- a recipe and there are like 12 ingredients, it's like, oh, no, please. You
0: know? <laughs> well, that's the way I look, too, yeah. You I know, say, okay.
1: But if I see, hey, you know, three things, oh, I can handle that, right? And I mean, my philosophy is that the ingredients should be fresh, should be seasonal. And then they taste already so good. You don't have to do much magic, you know, to make them taste good. So I keep my, my technique simple, and I keep the ingredients simple, and it works, you know. I want you to fall in love with each ingredient in the food. So I want to, you to be able to taste it. I don't want to mask it with some fancy spices or fancy tex- techniques. So I really want to bring out each ingredient's flavor. And if you have 10 ingredients, you know, it's very busy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you have only four, you can really focus on them.
0: Now you get you start us off with breakfast porridge <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh Winnie the Pooh.
1: <laughs> I know I love porridge. I do eat porridge every day, yes, i do um i don't I know many people don't, uh but since we're talking about breakfast, I know a very common breakfast you know here in America is any any variety of those boxed cereals, but that's really not a good breakfast because they are very processed and again you know your body will break them down fast you'll get your sugar spikes and your energy is gone by mid-morning you're drained
0: well, it's when i
1: eat my bowl of buckwheat <laughs> i'm good for six hours
0: <laughs> that's right yeah it's my bob's red mill still cut uh, oats <laughs> that stuff get that that packs a punch and keeps you going
1: yes it's really
0: true now uh I, you talk about uh, vegetables, and you have some really great recipes. I love this uh, zucchini tomato casserole. It's kind of like a, a it's a quick and easy lasagna almost, without having to deal with all the the sauces and everything else. Yeah, it just exactly. gives you the feel and the taste. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's just layers of tomatoes, zucchinis, and I put a little feta cheese in between.
0: Uh, and that's it? Yeah. Well, that's I think, uh, gives us a good idea of what we can expect to find in, in the book in terms of the recipes. You have some great uh, what I would call snack food alternatives, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, baked carrot sticks. Yes. And and, uh, tell us about uh, kale. You love kale, and I think there's a lot of good stuff you can do with kale.
1: Oh, kale is wonderful, yes. I mean, you can put it in smoothies, you can saute it, and you can even roast it, which makes a really nice snack, you know, for people who need that crunchy feeling. So you just kind of uh, tear the kale into little bite-sized pe- pe- pieces, not too small because they really will uh, reduce in size when you put them in the oven. Uh, and then you just sprinkle a little olive oil over them. You kind of massage each leaf so each leaf is covered with olive oil. You sprinkle it with a little, of s- little salt. You put it in the oven for 15 minutes at 350 degrees, and you have this really delicious snack.
0: Boy, that that sounds good. Now, uh, one of the things I I made with kale was uh, kale with uh, roasted uh, pine nuts mm-hmm. and garlic and uh, raisins, and that's yes. uh, that's like a meal in in and of itself.
1: Yes, it's it's very nourishing. I mean, leafy greens are superfood. You know, they have so many minerals, so many vitamins, all that good stuff, all the chlorophyll, which helps you know our friendly bacterias in the gut and it just gives you i mean that's the one food where I feel like five minutes after eating it I get a burst of energy and this it's this great uplifting kind of energy so it's wonderful food
0: now uh, talk about developing some of these kind of recipes too um for for example there you have some really nice uh like uh, uh greens with uh, creamy uh, sesame sauce mm-hmm and you know you kind of and talk about you know some of the substitution notes. You know you say you can substitute this for that in there. So I mean, how did you? You're you're on this farm in Estonia. Uh, did are you just like kind of making this stuff up as you go? And then did you start to document it and figure out what the proportions are?
1: Yeah, uh, it's usually no matter where I am, whether I'm uh, you know in the winter in Beacon or in the summer in Estonia, I always like to experiment with new ideas and I just get inspired by what's around. I get also inspired by other cookbooks, but very often I would say, oh, this sounds interesting in terms of ingredients, but why do they do this and why do they do that? So again, I'm starting to simplify. That's always my, you know, kind of um thing that I want to do. Uh, and, you know, one of the, some of the best recipes happen when you just open your refrigerator and you look what's in there and you think, what can I do with those ingredients? You know, something, the challenge of having, you know, some restriction can really be great for creativity. So one of the soups that's in there that I love that happened that way, it's the sweet potato tomato soup. That's where I really had good yeah, I had sweet potatoes, I had regular potatoes, I had carrots, I had some tomatoes, I had garlic, I had ginger, and um I put it together, and it's a really great soup
0: now uh, one of the things that that I thought was was really interesting was uh you have some some great pasta dishes, and uh it seems obvious in retrospect. But what you did was you kind of made a, a a pasta with a tomato salsa on it, essentially, with a pasta with raw tomato sauce. And, and that's a great idea.
1: It is. And this is not my idea, I oh, must say. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's an idea that, or I don't know if it was her idea, but I learned it from a really dear friend of mine. And so what you do is you simply chop your tomatoes quite fine into little squares, and you put all the green herbs that you can think of in. So uh, dill, parsley, uh, cilantro, basil, uh, chives, and you chop them up really fine. Lots of uh, olive oil, like really generous amounts of olive oil, salt and pepper, and it's divine.
0: Uh, you mentioned olive oil. Let's talk about oils and, and choosing our oils wisely. And, you know, that you talk about fats, oils, hydrogenated, unhydrogenated, saturated, unsaturated. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us your thumbnail sketches to what we want and why.
1: Okay. Uh, let's see how I can do this uh, shortest. So one principle is that, I mean, most people are afraid of oils because they're afraid of cholesterol mm-hmm. and they're afraid of the high calorie count. Both these items are not a problem for our health. What the real problem is, is rancidity and unnatural processing. So uh, you always want to buy the unrefined oils. And it would not say this on the label. If you go to a health food store, you might find oils that say unrefined. And that's a great thing. But if it doesn't say nothing, you can always assume that they are refined. And what that means is that the oil has gone through several processes in the manufacturing. So for example, many of the common vegetable oils like soy oil, corn oil, sunflower seed oil, safflower oil. In order to get the oil out of these items, you either use heat or chemical solvents. But these particular oils are high in omega-6, and omega-6 is very unstable. So that means by heating up these seeds, you already make the oil go rancid in the manufacturing process. And because rancid oils smell bad, they are then being deodorized, which kills the smell but does not undo the rancidity. And thus you find rancid oils for sale in your supermarket. So all these yellow-looking oils that don't smell like anything, they are not the best choice.
0: Wow. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay. So then I say, when in doubt, use olive oil. Mm -hmm. Because one one thing is, and you want to go for the extra virgin or first cold-pressed olive oil, because that is the gentlest way of oil extraction. And the olive just lends itself. I mean, you just squeeze it and the oil comes out. It's easy. And that's why olive oil is so good for us. Plus, it happens to be high in monounsaturated fatty acids, which is a good thing because those oils are fairly stable. And so you can use even cold-pressed olive oil for your cooking, you know, for like some sauteing and light frying and for baking. Mm -hmm. So it can take those temperatures. And then the saturated oils or fats, you know, that people are really afraid of because there has been all this talk about cholesterol. Of course, there is no cholesterol in any plant oil, right? There is cholesterol, okay, in butter. But even cholesterol is not a problem. It's it's a big hype. But those saturated fatty acids are actually the most stable of the fatty acids, so they don't go rancid easily. So again, you can use these oils for high-temperature cooking. Butter is not so good for high-temperature cooking because butter is not pure fat. It still has a little lactose in it and a little uh, protein from the milk. So these particles will turn brown and then black. Mm-hmm. So that's why butter is not so great for actually frying, you know. But Unless it's you good.
0: clarified butter, I think.
1: Exactly. And clarified butter is 100% fat, and that's an excellent oil for, uh, or fat for frying.
0: Well, what other ones are good? good? Uh,
1: coconut oil. Oh, really? Yes, yes. And also palm kernel oil.
0: What about peanut oil?
1: Well, peanut oil is an oil that is high in mono unsaturated fatty acids, so it's kind of similar to olive oil in that respect, and that would be an okay oil too.
0: Now, um, uh, once we get get these oils going, talk about let let's get back to some of the recipes. Um, You make uh, some wonderful soups and stews. We talked about the sweet potato uh, tomato sweet potato tomato soup, but also you have a pea soup with cardamom, which I think is a really interesting twist on a pea soup. Yes.
1: And it's kind of unexpected, but it just goes so well together. And so that particular recipe for me is sort of a a combination of Estonian flavors and Indian flavors. Because in Estonia, traditionally, you make pea soup with barley. And uh, so in that recipe, we have yellow peas, barley, uh, carrots, leek, onions, and then uh, I spice it up with cardamom. And it's just divine.
0: You also give us a, a nice barley salad, too. That must be very Estonian, I'm take, I am take it?
1: Yes. Uh, again, barley is, is a definitely an Estonian ingredient, but uh, usually in Estonia, it is not used as a salad ever. You know, it's always in a warm food. You know, either it's kind of a porridge-type thing or it's in a soup. Uh, but here i'm I'm cooking the barley in plenty of water uh, so that it can really freely expand and then I drain it and I let it cool down. and then I chop up some um, different color peppers, uh, zucchini, both yellow and uh, r- yellow uh, yellow squash, um, some red onions, and then I make a cold salad out of it. And the dressing is simply uh, lemon juice and olive oil, and uh, as a fresh herb, I use dill.
0: Now talk about uh, your carrot salad too.
1: Okay, carrot salad, this is really lovely as well. Um, And if you use organic carrots that are really sweet, it's really amazing. So it has shredded carrots, it has dried uh, cranberries, uh, pumpkin seeds, lots of parsley, and then the dressing is made from apple cider vinegar and uh, ginger. And the ginger, you know, in combination with the sweet carrots is really amazing.
0: Uh, you have some provisos about uh, using uh, the kind of vinegars we should use.
1: Well, um, apple cider vinegar is this amazing thing. And so it's great to use it in food. And you want to get the unfiltered apple cider vinegar because that one, and also unpasteurized. Because that one, again, is a fermented food and it contains all the friendly bacteria. So it's it's wonderful to replenish your intestinal flora with the help of apple cider vinegar. So it's great to use in food, in salad dressings, but also... It's a great way to alkalize your water. You know, you can just put a teaspoonful of apple cider vinegar into your drinking water. And it's great for bringing down your blood sugar if that happens to be too high, and a great way to alkalize your water.
0: Now, you also uh, give us some fish. You you like salmon.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like salmon.
0: <laughs> now, uh, it, tell us about this recipe, the lox and sour cream sauce. That's an interesting recipe.
1: Yeah, um, that's again one of those recipes that, you know, I just kind of look into the refrigerator <laughs> <laughs> see what's there. So it is, um, it is a pasta dish where um, you you make uh, a dressing uh, made from sour cream, uh, some cherry tomatoes, lots of dill, and then pieces of lox. So it hardly needs any cooking. You, you'll cook the pasta. But then the sauce itself, really, you just kind of heat it up so that the tomatoes get a little hot and then the fish you just put in at the very end so that it doesn't really cook because then it would turn hard and dry. So just heat it up and then you pour it over the pasta
0: and it's very delicious. And you give us desserts too, the two (laughs) that I thought were really interesting, amaranth candy.
1: Oh, yes, that's a Mexican uh, traditional candy. And what you do is you make kind of popcorn, not popcorn, obviously, it's amaranth, it's popped amaranth. And so similarly, as you would do popcorn, you don't use oil, I think. I now don't remember even my own recipe. (laughs) (laughs) But you put the kernels into the pot, and um, the pot needs to be heated already before before you put the kernels in. And then they start popping, you know, and they turn into this adorable little, little tiny, light, like white fluffy things. And uh, so you, you make that, you put that on the side, and then you use um, brown rice syrup. You cook it uh, for quite some time. And it's important to cook it at least for 10 minutes. And you want to make sure that it doesn't burn. So you, you keep the temperature sort of medium. It should not change color. I've done it, and, you know, it's gone wrong, and that's the bad news because then it just kind of becomes this hard clump of, you know, something, and it's very hard to to get your pot clean. So you want to... But if you do it too little, then it doesn't um, become hard in the right way. It stays, you know, elastic and sticky, and that's a big mess. Mm -hmm. So it has to be just perfect. Anyway, and then you put some sesame seeds in there, I think, and um, uh, some cinnamon, Mm -hmm. and in the end, you mix it all together with the puffed amaranth, and then you need to be really quick. You need to pour it out. You put it either in kind of a a baking dish or you put it onto some parchment paper and flatten it out, and then you cut it into little squares or however you want the candy to be.
0: And that takes us, gives us uh a Breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert, (laughs) all from recipes from your Estonian farm. (laughs) I've been speaking with Marika Blossfeldt. Her new book is Essential Nourishment, Recipes from My Estonian Farm. Thank you for joining me, Marika.
1: Thank you for having me.